Thank you for joining us on episode 135 of the podcast. Have you ever, do you know that feeling of when you put on a really good watch, how much confidence it gives you? You feel like you look better, just you walk around a little different. That's what Chaos Tactical Watches does for me. I put it on, the band feels great, the weight is perfect, it has digital and analog, it's awesome. It's just a great watch. You, I love it. It's fantastic. So head on over to enterchaos.com or visit them at Chaos Rings on Instagram and check out the line that they have. They support all sorts of great things that this show supports, so I can't speak highly enough about them. And the owner, Ari, is amazing. So head over to enterchaos.com and grab yours today. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Hunter Leininger. He is the world's toughest race finisher. He's done several ultras, and he holds several world records, including one that he just did for a known time race, 300 miles. It's, I can't, this podcast was fantastic. He is an incredible human being, and he's only 20 years old. So please enjoy this episode with Hunter Leininger. There we go. Podcast 135. Start it. Hey, thanks a lot, Hunter, for being on. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be able to talk to you about everything I've done. <laughs> <laughs> everything you've done. So how old, first off, how old are you? I'm 20 years old now, so I'm, a, I'm an old guy. You're, <laughs> you're running races with Dobbs, which is how I found out about you, and you're saying you're the old guy. Yeah, I got to keep up with him. He's way younger than he looks. Um, he he make he's he's a young guy for his age. Um, so that's I got to keep up with him. So, true. There's a lot of truth in that too. Just talking to him on the phone, and I'm like, "You're intense, bro." <laughs> yeah. Um. So, I guess explain a little bit about who you are because he told me a little bit, and I love these kind of conversations. I looked at your Instagram real fast, but he told me what you did, and then I looked up the the toughest race in the world thing with Bear Grylls. Yep. And uh, I'm like, well, first off, when he told me what you did, this this list of things like, and that he's been running with you, and then I look at your Instagram, I'm like, how old is he? Is he like 15? That's crazy that he's done all this stuff and he's like so young. Like, look at him. He looks like a baby. And then, uh, you know, you're running <laughs> know, all these races on face. your Instagram and it's, uh, it's wild. So explain a little bit about who you are like what what you've done and what you're into as far as these races goes yeah so my story actually started when i was seven years old in endurance sports um usually endurance sports there's no kids in the sport the average age is like 40 to 50 so for me to be a kid in the sport was just unheard of so i started racing when i was seven years old i picked up with my dad did my first six hour adventure race. So adventure racing is where I got started. That's the running, biking and canoeing races, nonstop, no trailers or anything, straight map and compass, everything. So started adventure racing when I was seven, started the six hour race and have gone up to do world championships when I was 16. I've done nationals when I was 10 years old, all the way up to my latest big adventure race was actually the world's toughest race eco challenge um, with Bear Grylls. And that was 10 days of racing nonstop for 500 miles across Fiji. Um, and it was part of a TV show on Amazon prime. So if you watch it, you'll be able to see my team. And um, lately I've gone into kind of like the ultra running scene 
and um, jumped straight into a hundred mile ultra without any training. And was like, I'll just go do it. Finished that. And I was like, this is pretty fun. So my latest thing I just did um, last week was a 300 mile FKT. So fastest known time on the Benton Mackay trail, which is a really rugged trail up here um, down Southeast. Um, and I just finished that and set the record for the fastest person to ever run that. So 300 miles. That's kind of a quick little synopsis of what I've done. 300 miles. Yep. Nonstop. It was, it was the toughest thing I've ever done. I, I didn't think it was going to be as tough as I did because I've done the words toughest race. I've done all these big adventure races, but to be on your feet for 300 miles nonstop. And I think I slept for three hours over the five days. That does some, that, it kind of beats you up. How many hours did you sleep? Three hours. For three, just three, three hours for over five days. And, yeah. Five days. How did yeah. those, so how did you, how did you break up your sleep? I'm sure it wasn't three hours straight, right? No. So, oh man. So for adventure racing, three hours and five days is doable. Like that's what, for adventure racing, it's kind of normal thought to like, oh, you only see for three hours, no big deal. But from the outside world, that sounds insane. Um, but when it comes to being on your feet for that long, I don't know, just something in your body that you actually need more sleep than that um, to actually do it. But somehow I got past with three hours of sleep and it was, I pushed the first, first 24 hours all through the night. Sun came up, I pushed through that second night. And then it's like, you get so sleepy, you can't even walk normally. Like you'd start sleepwalking straight off a cliff, like if you don't stop. Um, so then I slept for like an hour there. And then I pushed for a whole nother 40 hours of no sleep. And then another hour there. So it was, it was three um, one hour breaks that I had pretty much. <laughs> That's so wild though. I mean, it's I imagine the adventure racing. Are you with a partner or are you solo on those? So that's the big difference. Um, in adventure racing, it's like usually four-person teams. It's not a relay. So all four of us have to stay together no matter what. But there's something about that as in usually it's one person really sleepy and the other people aren't that sleepy. So they can keep you going and keep you pushing. But for this, I'm the only one out there for most of these times. So if I'm sleepy, I, I could just, like I said, walk off a cliff if somebody's not there with me. Um, so that's when the sleepiness kind of kicks you a little bit more. So, and you set the world record for this? Yeah, I was the fastest person um, in history to ever hike this or run this entire trail. That is wild. How fast did you do it? Like how how long did it take you again? So it took me five, just um, five and a half days to do it. And if you sit back and do the math, it was 300 miles. It took me five days. You could do the math and like, even me before doing it, doing the math, I was like, oh, I could do that. That's, that seems relatively easy in the endurance sport. Like 60 miles a day doesn't sound too intimidating. But th these 60 miles are like the most rugged trail ever. Like I gained 60, like 63,000 feet of gain over that 300 miles. And if you're an ultra runner, you kind of understand what that type of gain, that's like hard rock level, like the toughest um, ultra race level elevation gain for 300 miles. So it was not an easy chair. Um, hands down the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, <laughs> you say 300 miles, it's hard anyway. I mean, yes, breaking it up in, in five days, but in that five days, you're moving so much that you only slept three hours, which is, I mean, yeah. I think I've heard some ultra runners sleep like very little on like 250 mile races or something. Like they sleep a couple minutes, yeah. you know, but they're not, I guess yeah. 
it all depends on the course. Like I watched that one on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it where it's the one in Tennessee where they have to find their way through. With, yeah. Was it? At Barkley Marathons. Yes. Barkley Marathon. So that's the coolest documentary. Like I'm, I'm into well-made documentaries. I, I'm not a runner or an ultra runner, yeah. but that's a well-made documentary. And you, you see what these people are doing. You're like, Whoa, that's insane. Like the, like having to map through a place you don't know and find these little pages yep. in your book and rip it out and then run back and, and it's wild. So, and that's, I guess that's what I kind of get from ultra racing is all these different courses. They try to make them insane so that only the top percentage insane individuals go try them. And I mean insane in like the best possible yeah. way, like unique human beings. And that's yeah. what attracts me to, follow and watch these documentaries and want to pay attention to what ultra runners say because it's not a marathon that everybody does like you've leveled it up to where you're running five days with three hours of sleep yeah so um barkley marathons is like what everybody knows like from the outside knows about oh are you an ultra runner have you done barkley that's kind of like the common thing to say but um barkley is very some similar to adventure races so Adventure racing is map and compass. There's checkpoints all in the woods and you, you just go whatever the fastest route there is possible. There's no marked course. There's no people cheering you on. It's pretty much map and compass for anywhere from a hundred miles to upwards of 500 miles of running, biking, and canoeing. Um, and ultra running is more like it's laid out on a trail and it's markings and you get aid stations, all that stuff. But what I did was kind of a mix of both as in there wasn't any aid stations or people cheering me on. There wasn't other racers. It was just me and my um, parents in a, in a van resupplying me at like every 15 to 35 miles, I would see them and they would get me water and food and I would just keep moving. Um, and it was pretty much a nonstop moving for that five days. Like when you look at like a Barkley or something, the cutoff is 60 hours. So yeah. the sleep aspect of it, you don't have, in my opinion, under anything under three days, you don't have to worry about sleep too much. Like I know a person I could push through a three day block <laughs> with almost no sleep, if not 30 minutes to an hour, um, it might help you. But when you get over that three day mark, it's like, it's an, it's impossible. Like it really messes you up with the sleep aspect. If you don't sleep. That is wild that you have conditioned yourself to, I mean, if you tell that to anybody, I mean, even really, really fit, like athletic people, if you told them like, yeah, nobody mentions it casually, like you just did where like, I mean, anything three days with no sleep, that's no big deal. Like that's nothing, dude. I got that. I mean, there's very few people that say that so casually in life, you know, like I'm not going to say that casually. If I stayed up for three days and ran a race, I'd be like, dude, I'm the man. Yeah, it, I think it's um, part of it because I was raised in this, like starting at seven years old. I was the only kid, like, like I said, the second youngest to like complete nationals, I think was 22 years old. And I was 10 years old at that time. And then world championships, I was 16. The youngest was like 25 or something like that. Like, so like I set all these world records as a kid and I was kind of like, like raised in this sport. So now it's normal to me. Like I, I go to South somebody, oh, I ran a hundred miles. It's like, oh, okay, no big deal. Like, but like I had to take myself out of that and be like, if I walked to some random person, even like a really fit person and told them what I did, they would never like couldn't wrap their head around how, what I did. You look so unassuming too. Like 
you, you don't look like I, you don't look like somebody that like I've seen ultra runners. You know, you see Courtney Dualter, the famous ones. You know, Rich yep. Roll, all uh, Dean Carnass, right? Dean Carnass is the way you say his last name. Yep. Yeah. Uh, all those dudes, you see them, and you look at them, and you go, "Okay, ultra runner, that's cool." You know, yep. um, you're very unassuming me, with your look on, and and you just look so chill. It's like. I can do that. I'll just run. I'll set the record. Yeah, yeah. Why not? You know? Yeah, it was real hard. Ouch. Yeah. It's, it's, um, if you saw me just walking around, you like, even in school, like, I didn't really go brag about my record, word records and stuff. But when I was like in high school, I had three word records. And half the people in my school didn't even know that I had these records. And it was like one of my closest friends, I never really told him. And then like two years later, he's like, Hunter, he just freaked out on me because he's like, one of my other friends told him, it's like, Hunter, you don't look like somebody that would have world records and be able to run hundreds of miles. Um, and obviously I'm young as in you go to any of these endurance races and there's really no kids and no young people there. So, yeah. um, and a lot of the thing like very showed back because this 300 mile run, not to freak you out, but I actually planned it one week out from actually starting. <laughs> so I just decided, Hey, next week I'm going to go run 300 miles. So that's the mind blowing part for me. Like, I'm like, uh, I could never think to, I could wrap my head around running 300 miles. And I did it with one week of prep. So what got you into it at such a young age? Like set your parents do it. Is your parents like ultra runners? And then they go and they're like, no, the kid's going to ultra run. Or are, did you, were you just drawn to it and they just uh, facilitated it? It was definitely, I was drawn to it. So my dad was been event racing for five years before I started racing. And I was always out there on the sidelines cheering him on. And like, I was always out at his races. So I was like, dad, why can't I just do this with you? And he's like, uh, no way. It's like, no kids do this race. It's way too dangerous. It's way too long. And then after like years of asking him, he's like, all right, I'll finally put you in just to shut you up. <laughs> so he put me in a race and I fell in love with it, got mud up to my waist and um, didn't get injured and I saw alligators and all these different crazy snakes and all these animals. And I just fell in love with being out there with my dad. And then we just stayed together and kept doing these races around the world and all the way up to the la- the big one, the word stuff is race. We actually did it together. That was our last race that we've done together. Um, just because I wanted to be out there with him. And then with ultra running, my mom started ultra running about, I guess like four years ago. And I was like, I want to be out there with you. Let me, I'm going to come out and just run a hundred miles. And then I ran with her and I'm like, this is pretty fun. Um, so that's kind of how I got into ultra running. So it's definitely my parents. They didn't force me into it. It was totally like, I want to be out there with you. So they let me. That's so, so your, your family is like into these racing then. Like you're just drawn to it, but yeah, you're both your mom and dad are into these long endurance races. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, like my, my dad's done most of the adventures with adventures with ugh, adventure races with me and my mom she hasn't done any ultras with me but i've been at her races and she's always been supporting me so it helps a lot when your parents are just as crazy as you and think these ideas are actually like normal so that it, and that's something that i was i was actually gonna say i'm like dude it your life, this is just normal. Like your mom, your dad, like you sit around the dinner table, like, Oh yeah, I ran, I ran a hundred miles today. And you're like, yeah, that's pretty cool. What was your time? Like, you yep. know, like, and you know, it's just like a casual conversation. Yep. You're like, Oh, did you see this race coming up this weekend? You want to get in that one? Like it's, yeah, it's only 50 miles. We got this. No big deal. I mean, 
that's a normal thing to you or Basically, other people. Yeah. Like my brother ran a 50 mile race and we, he came down here to the town we live in, in Texas. And, um, he ran one here, stayed with us and he did, he didn't really prepare very much. He like, he runs like maybe, maybe like five to 10 miles a day to, to prep for it. Yeah. And he, he just saw it as advertised. He was like, I want to run this 50 mile race. And so he went for it. Kind of like what you did, but with absolutely no training from seven years old, no running. He was actually, so backstory, yeah. he was really big, right? He's big all his life. And then he lost a bunch of weight and uh, by dieting and discipline. And he just like, he's always been super athletic and he decided to get into that stuff, like the running. And now he's addicted to the running stuff. But he ran that 50 mile race and he finished under the time cap. So that was his goal, just to finish. And he was in so like, he's shaking when he got back to the house and like he, I mean, his body's like just going nuts. He's like this, that was the toughest thing ever. Like I've ever done. That was so wild. And he's by himself. Like we left, got lunch. I mean, he ran one 25 mile loop and then ran another 25 mile loop. We saw him at the loop. We gave him whatever he needed. He ran another 25 miles. And, uh, it was wild to see how much pain he was in, but then also the community is super cool. It's super. It's a super neat community where yeah. everybody supports each other. And then on top of that, to see him go, I think I want to do something like that again. After he just beat himself up yeah. like that and went through that struggle, it's pretty cool. So like, I see these these ultra things and you doing it, and that being the norm for you, and seeing his reaction is really kind of a mind trip. It's it's totally the aspect of. Um, he just finished and it was, he was in so much pain and then all of a sudden he wants to do it again. It's, it's a weird thing with these things as when you're in it, you always have that point where it's like, I never want to do this again. This is the worst thing ever. I'm, if I never run again, I will be happy for the rest of my life. And then once you finish, it's like, man, man, that was pretty fun. I want to do that again. No matter how much pain I was in, I want to do it again. It's, it's just, a, I don't know if it's addiction, uh, but I feel like everybody has that when they're in this sport or, or they do one and they're like, I never want to do that again. And they actually listen to themselves and never do it again. You know what I have kind of noticed. So like I was into action sports as a kid and uh, I mean, I was obsessed with, with it. If you want to say it's, it's one of my favorite things. So, uh, and I rollerbladed back in the nineties when it was crazy big and getting its popularity and whatnot. But you know, you crash, you fall, you see gnarly wrecks and, and it's kind of the yep. same thing as far as like mentality goes. I've done that. And then I started doing CrossFit, um, about six years ago, I guess now. Um, but that was super similar, which what drew me to it is there's such a bond with the community and something so awesome about struggling through something and finishing it, like getting to the yep. end of something that's super duper hard to do, like super challenging, really tough it's not the pain that it's like you're yeah that part is terrible but there's something addicting about being able to tell yourself you finished it yeah 100 is is a lot of that like um finishing and be like man i did pretty good but i think i can do better or something like that like that i, I don't know that's with my last thing the 300 miles i finish and i'm like I think I could do that better. So then that's like what motivates me to like maybe try again and try something else. Um, so I totally understand with action sports is kind of the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I've just noticed the similarities to anything with struggle like jujitsu or anything that's really tough that also humbles you. So like 
when you're running those 300 miles and you're doing your your adventure races, you're talking about seeing crocodiles and snakes and stuff while you're out there as a little kid. You know, those are real life things that don't give a crap who you are and what you're running. They're not like standing yeah. behind the tape of the the race and go, oh, hold on, we can't mess up the runners. No, those are like real life things that yeah. hunt things. And you're out there in the middle of these jungles and, you know, you're doing these adventure races with, you know, in rivers and everything else. And that's, there's a, there's something really cool about being humbled where you're so small and then also running through it, yes. you know, and managing it. It's, it's really kind of wild. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. tell me about the toughest race, the toughest race in the world. I kind of watched a little promo on it just so I could see what it was when I, when, when Dobbs told me. And, um, uh, I was like, it's in Fiji. There's one season. So he had to do Fiji, right? He had yeah. to do the Fiji one. Yep. And then he said, no map. Like, it's like very bare bones, no technology. I think he said in the, yep. in the deal. So what is, what is this toughest race in the world thing? And, uh, and I want to hear like a little bit about that from, from you. Yeah. So adventure racing is my main sport. Like I've been talking about, like the running, biking and canoeing, it's like the main three sports. And it is anywhere from a four hour race up to a 10 day race, nonstop. There's no like stages. There's no like really outside support. You're pretty much racing for 10 days nonstop. And what started this whole trend was a show called eco challenge, which started back in it's ended in 2001, but it ran for like, five years um it was put on by mark brunette who is the main producer for shark tank survival all those big tv reality shows his very first um show was actually eco challenge and they ended it again 20 years ago so they were bringing it back in 2019 and i got the privilege to be on it and it was a it was the same race it was eco challenge fiji 10 days nonstop. It was actually 11 days. They say it was 10 days, but we had an extra day in there. 11 days long. And um, it was the craziest. It was called the world's toughest race for a reason. It was the toughest thing ever. Like it was running, biking, canoeing, sailing, stand up paddleboarding, rafting, rock climbing, all these different disciplines. And that we had a four person team that we had a race 10 days nonstop across the country of Fiji. Like, zigzagged all the way across fiji fiji looks small like on a map but we zigzagged like all the way across the entire thing um and it was televised it was a big tv show it was actually the largest tv show ever produced like the most camera crews i think they had 500 cameramen and like 10 helicopters like 50 boats all these crazy film crews so as a racer we were just racing but there was like all these cameras in our faces non-stop filming everything that went down so they condensed it all down into a 10 part episode and released on amazon prime so if you go watch it uh barrel grills is on there as their host and everything but it was the craziest thing ever like i i thought it was the toughest thing i've ever done prior to doing this 300 mile run um but it was definitely the most uncomfortable you've ever been in your life like they really put you outside your comfort zones as in we don't have any technology no gps or anything it's just a straight map and a compass and we choose our own routes across this country that like we'd never been to. There's really not many roads out there. It's bushwhacking through the jungle. Um, just a crazy show. Um, I was just fortunate enough to be on it. That, and we were so, one of the featured teams. So they showed us like a, a, um, from episode three onwards, we're on the show a lot. So 
if you watch it, you'll see my dad and I on that team. How do the cameraman stay up with you? Like, are they running the race with you or do they switch off or how's that, how's that work? No, that's, that's definitely a common misconception that people are like, Oh, Hey, these people are badasses, but what about the cameramen that are running with those? There was, a, like I said, there's 500 cameramen and there was like designated for, Hey, you get this one section, you stand on this t- mountaintop and film these people. So like there were some really badass ultra runners that were filming there. So they would run like a 20 mile section with us and then they would sleep and take a break for the night. And then restart and go back and run another 20 mile section with somebody else. But like with the helicopters, they had crazy helicopters flying over us about, it was like, I swear there's like 50 drones flying above our heads the entire time. So the camera crews would be stationed in sections and we were just, they would never stop us. They would never be like, Hey, let's stop us and film this little interview here. You just keep racing and we'll pick up the footage. Um, so that was pretty crazy. And they let you sleep, like there's no aid being brought to you, none of that stuff. So um, each each three days we got aid. So we had a fifth team member, which was in charge of like supporting us and like resupplying us with food and water and everything. So each like three days we got to see them. Um, and they didn't force us to sleep. The camp, the the race organizers didn't force us to sleep at all. We chose to sleep like we would chose, Oh, let's sleep three hours now and then push for another three days and then sleep for another three hours. Or we come here, we want to sleep for 10 hours. Like some teams did. We had that ability. And then like the lead teams, they never slept. They like pretty much went for 10 days with like almost no sleep, like three hours. I think something crazy. It's so wild to me that it seems like the common thing is, can you push and stay cognitively aware <laughs> Because that's the hardest part. Physically, that's not a problem to like keep moving over the hours. Like, yes, it'll hurt, but that's no big yeah. deal. Co- to cognitively, from what I hear and hear people's accounts, like you'll hallucinate, you know, from no sleep. You'll see things. You'll lose yep. your bearings. Like you're not. It, it it really messes with your mind. And so to stay aware, if you can stay aware of where you're at and what you're doing, and not sleep the least amount of anybody else it seems like you win these races so yeah it, uh, even though i've been doing this for thir- uh, 13 years now i'm still learning about what's that fine line because yes it sounds appealing just keep going and whoever gets the least amount of sleep wins but then at the same time the less sleep you get actually the slower you go so if you're going at a 30 minute pace but you're not sleeping what if you slept for an hour and then all of a sudden you can run a 15 minute pace so it's like that fine line of what what return does the sleep get like for this 300 mile run i i, I pushed non-stop for, for like the entire time and only got three hours of sleep maybe that wasn't the best option if i slept for six hours a night like the previous record holder did maybe i could have ran for way faster than i did so it's like i don't know what the best strategy is i'm still learning even though i've been doing it for 13 years it's it's a learning process of next time i do something like this maybe i'm going to sleep a lot more see what's a better option because you do like you said i used to hallucinate um a lot of people do hallucinate i don't really anymore but like my thing is i sleepwalk pretty much every single race over three days i'll have a story of me sleepwalking for like an hour long and all of a sudden like oh i'm here i didn't what happened for the past hour and like the story is just insane with me sleepwalking every single race pretty much i have one 
You just could, so maybe you sleep more hours, but you're just doing it while you're still moving. You've done it so long, like I'll just follow the trail and I'll just shut off and go exactly. to sleep. And keep going. It's I I call it my superpower because all of a sudden I slept for an hour. In my brain, I register of me sleeping an hour, but I still hiked for like three miles in that hour period. So it's like, oh, I never lost anything. I got both benefits. Yeah, I feel good. Or yeah, um, I get unlucky. Yeah, or I get unlucky and walk off a cliff, or like walk off the trail or something. Yeah, that that would. But be luckily, it. when that happens, I, I no, <laughs> no. I usually stop and sleep before that gets to that point. So, any injuries? I saw in the little preview like people getting injured and falling off cliffs. Like, did you guys have any of that drama in the show with you and your team, or was it pretty smooth sailing, um, like little bumps and bruises, but nothing too bad? So for our team, like I said, all in the show, a lot of people got injured um, just because it's it's just crazy what they put us through. But nobody really got seriously injured. No infections. That was the biggest worry about infections um, because it's Fiji. You get a cut and it's like it's not clean water anywhere. So um, I think I sprained my I sprained both my ankles in one section, like and like day seven, but sprained ankle. That doesn't really get you out of the race um no nothing really at all like we were pretty beat up after the race like as many cuts as you can think of as many bruises um sprained ankles but nothing too serious luckily we made it through um i can't ruin the show for you but no yeah 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 no that's fine i was just i was curious about that part <laughs> if there was any of those like bumps and bruises or like like injuries that would slow you down or how that process worked like yeah because I mean, I'm assuming most of the people, the contestants on that show are tr- like they're um, adventure racers. Yeah, most of them were. So about half of them were adventure racers, like top adventure racers in the in the world, pretty much. And the other half were like non-adventure racers, like people have never done this before, but like still top athletes. So like the Iron Cowboy, I don't know if you're familiar with who that is. Um, just a, like one of the before, top triathletes in the world. So he, he's currently doing a hundred Ironmans in a hundred days. So like back to back Ironman. So he was part of the show. I got the, yeah, just he's on day 64 right now. I think it just mind blowing what he's doing. That's insane. Yeah. There's a lot of insane stuff in this endurance for it. Like, that's why it's like when we, when I talk to other endurance people, it's like, it's normal. Like you said, we normalize everything like, Oh, running a hundred miles is normal. But then when, when you have to take yourself out of that, and be like, maybe what we're doing isn't normal. Maybe this is like pretty crazy. Well, that and that's something really funny about normalizing it. You know, like, um, like when you live in it the whole time, it's just like everyday life to you. You know, like whoever you're around, yeah. and you realize that this is one thing I talk about the podcast all the time that it's helped me. It's helped me a lot. Not that I didn't have it before, because the people I was around uh, when I was younger, but you realize when you talk to people they're just regular human beings like you. Like they're the same as you. They're just doing things when they set their mind to things. Like when you set your mind to running a 300 mile race, you go run a three mile, 300 mile race. Right. And you set the world record, but you're like, okay, I'm going to go run a 300 mile race. Nope. I got that. You know, I may not want to do that. And I may look at that and go, that's how does he do that? Well, you found a passion or something that you liked from seven years old on and you run that thing and you follow that to 
whatever maximum potential that you can possibly do. And then you try to level that up all the time. Um, A lot of people don't live in that space. They don't live in a space of trying to maximize their potential in a certain area or passion. Right. So it makes it seem weird, but to you, that's just the way you, that's just normal life to you. The normal thing to do is to go try to push yourself and maximize this thing. And so it's, you condition yourself where it's not that big a deal anymore. Yeah, and, it, and I think that applies to every aspect of your life. As in, like, I go see maybe um, like an entrepreneur or something saying, "I want to become a billionaire," and they commit their entire lives to that. Even though it's not the same as endurance sport, I kind of like, it's kind of the same thing. It's just a different aspect of your life. Um, and like anything in sports, like somebody's a free diver or something, and they commit their entire lives. Oh, I proving like let me push my boundaries and everything. I have I've never done free diving, but I can kind of connect with that because i kind of know that same drive that person has um so when i started that 300 mile race like from on mile two i was injured i pretty much injured my knee like it like popped out of socket or whatever and i was like i'm committed to finishing this no matter what even if i have to run 300 miles on a broken knee or whatever i'm gonna finish and that's what i did (laughs) so you set the record with a basically like your knee popped out too right at the beginning yeah so it was um my it's called like runner's knee. I guess my um, kneecap was shifted over two inches the entire time, and now and now it's like really swollen. I can like I I'm st- I'm walking normal now, but um yeah, just the most excruciating pain ever from mile two. So like just put yourself in my my shoes that like you start a big three hundred mile run and at mile two your knee is like the most painful thing ever that you've ever experienced in your life, and you got to look man, I have to do 298 more miles of this much pain. How is that possible? And that's when I give a lot of credit to Dobbs um, for helping me, coaching me in that aspect. And I don't know, like, if you put myself in that perspective, like, situation a year ago, I probably would have dropped out instantly. But um, with his help, I I somehow made it through the entire thing just by being like, I, I committed to this no matter what whatever was in my way, I'm going to finish this. I know it's not anything life-threatening. I know I'm not really injuring myself long-term because I've had this happen before, but just the amount of pain I had to endure for 300 miles, just, it's hard to explain to people. <laughs> so what did he do to coach you? What did you do for yourself on that? When, you know, cause he, he, you said he coached you mentally, which that's a crazy good compliment to Dobbs uh, right there. But what did you tell yourself when it hit right there? Like mentally, what do you go through when you're like that happens and then you keep pushing automatically and f- not only finish the race, but set the record. Like, is there a point where you stop to feel it? Like you stop feeling it as much or do you feel it and just, you figure out a way to deal with it the whole way? Like what, what's your thought process when that happens right then and there? Yeah. So like previously, like, I always thought I was tough and I thought mentally I was strong, but like I've done all these tough things, world championships, I've run hundred miles and stuff, but everything kind of seemed easy to me. Like everything came easy to me. I don't know if it's because of my age, because of my experience, whatever. But when I finally got faced with something that was pretty tough, like really challenged me and pushed me, which was this 300 mile thing, I needed that mental like grit to like be able like, Hey, I got to go through this. And, I taught, I was hanging out with Dobbs and training with him beginning of this year. And I actually had a failed attempt on a 140 mile run. I did 
early, like last year. And he helped me work through a lot of my pitfalls of like my mental pitfalls of when I got to this point and I got hit by a big thunderstorm and I use that as an excuse for me to drop out. And yes, it was because it was kind of life threatening, but I should have kept pushing through even through like that crazy storm and everything. And, um, he helped me a lot with the idea of if I commit to something, no matter what this like situation is, my, my excuse was always, I could always come back and do this when there's better weather. I could always come back and do this when my body feels better. I can come back when there's more people to help me for this. I was like, Nope, I'm not using that excuse ever. Like I'm not using that excuse because yes, a lot of things went wrong. The 300 miles. Like I know if I go back, I, I might be able to do it better, but I'm not always guaranteed that chance to go back because life could happen. Something can happen to me and I won't be able to go back and do that. So he told me, he kind of taught me, it's like, you, treat it like a one and done. You got one, one, one opportunity to do this and finish it how you want to finish it and keep going. If, if you want this to be a scouting mission and you want to go out for 100 miles and then drop out, that's perfectly fine. But commit to that at the beginning. So I committed to, I'm finishing 300 miles, even if I don't get the record. I'm going to keep moving 300 miles. And... If I'm if I'm already committed to that, why don't I try to go for the record? Why if I'm going to be out here for 300 miles, why dick or not? Why dick around and be out here for 12 days? Let's finish this in um, five days. That was kind of my biggest motivation. So no matter what happened to me, like at day three, I got hit by an insane thunderstorm, way worse than the last um, record that I was going for, and I had that mental like grit to be like, I'm not quitting this again. I'm not going through that same process again. So I'm not quitting. Let's finish this thing all the way through. And I, I did it. So that's so, that's so wild that you fit it. So this is your first like major, the other things you said were kind of easy. Now this is your first like real setback on a 300 mile race. That's the toughest thing you've ever done. So like tougher than the toughest race in the world where you're zigzagging across Fiji and you're dealing with all these things. This is that tough and you do it injured Right. So it seems like the setback almost made yep. you stronger in a sense of running this race. Oh, it, it, I, I treated it as awesome. It was a great training. I would never say this, but like um, a good 300 mile training um, push because it, it taught me a lot about myself. And like for the next thing I go after, if it's a 500 mile run or whatever it is, I'll have these like. I learned so much about myself and never had to dig deep this deep before, because yes, the world's toughest race was one of the toughest races. It was the most uncomfortable I've ever been in my life. But the thing was I was racing with my dad and I wasn't being super competitive. This, I am trying to be the most competitive person on this trail, like pushing it faster than anybody else in history. So it's like the world's toughest race. If I was racing at the top level and trying to win it, yes, it probably would have been the toughest thing for me. But this, I was trying to compete at the top top level and 300 miles of running as fast as you possibly can. It really, it made me dig really deep, way past anything I ever thought was possible. So this is, have you always in the adventure racing, and I can I can see where being by yourself, so being by yourself in a, and having a support team, two totally different things. Like mentally, there's, yeah. you've got nobody else there. Like that, it does make a big difference when you have somebody to be with. Uh, there with you, but is this the first race? Uh, picking up on something you said, is this the first race that you were really competitive? Like you decided, hey, I want to try to do, 
I want to try to see what I can do on this race. Like, I want to see if I can win this thing. Yeah. So that eco challenge race where it's toughest race was in 2019. Um, that was my last kind of race with my dad. And then since leaving my dad, like I always knew I could be really fast and strong. So then for the all 2020 and then beginning of 2021, I've been racing on a pretty competitive adventure racing team. We're actually the, like the number one ranked team in the U S so that like the past two years I've been racing super competitive, but that's all been adventure races. And the, there's a difference about being competitive as a team, as in when you're three, four people pushing as hard as you can, you only as fast as your weakest member usually. Um, with this ultra type thing, this 300 mile run, I am the only person there. So it's just as hard as I could push. And if I feel good, I'm pushing as hard as I possibly can. So um, it's been my first type of thing. Like I've done a hundred mile races. I've done um, a bunch of ultras. Um, but this is the first thing I've, I was actually like, all right, I'm pushing from the start. I'm fully committed to this thing. So it was kind of like that first thing that I've actually like done super hard by myself, if that makes sense. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I kind of picked up on. Like, I know you were doing them. Uh, it's cool that you're on the, the, like you went on that other team. That brings a question to my mind yeah. is I know a lot of these ultra, there's not a lot of money people do ultra running for the love of ultra running and that's it. And they can get sponsored and things, but there it's not like this is something that's going to get rich or whatever. Like you're not going to make a ton of money in ultra running really. Um, I mean, unless you have other things that come from that, you know, you, your personality and you get famous. So I was on the adventure racing side and these, these things that you're doing, is it something where you get sponsors and you can like at least pay your bills with this stuff? Or is it purely like you're working and you're training and you've got this team that you've got to be on? Like, I'm, I'm curious about that because that's a tough thing to coordinate. Yeah. Adventure racing is totally like, if you thought ultra running was small, um, adventure racing, it's a good following, but it's not that big. And there's really no money in it because it's a, it's not a spectator sport. We're out there for days. It's not like people can come watch it. So it's even less of a spectator sport than ultra running because it, it's part of that aspect of venture racing. We're supposed to re, be remote. Nobody's supposed to be helping us at all. So it's not really conducive to a bunch of sponsors and money. So like nobody really makes a living in that. Even the top guys in the entire world don't really make a living. They all need to have their own nine to five jobs. Ultra running. Yes. There's people that make a living for it with it because it's, it's pretty popular. It's um, growing and everything. And it is more of a spectator sport. So totally adventure racing, just for the love of it. Um, solely everybody out there, nobody's out there for the money. And I think there's easier ways to get money if, than putting your body on the line for 10 days. <laughs> well, that's the point. Like that's the crazy thing about it is that you would think to somebody from the outside. And I mean, I kind of understand what your thinking process is on it. Uh, like I get where you're coming from. Yep. I am very similar in the sense of the things I like. The money doesn't money's never been a motivator for me for my hobbies or the things I like ever, like ever. Yeah. So I get that. If I like something, I'm, I, I just want to go do that and be the best at it. It's not about the money. It's about being the best yeah. at what I'm doing. So, um, so I get that part, but from the outside in people would say, why would you torture yourself? and train so hard and get so beat up and win these races and be the top team for no money. Yeah. 
and, and we had to pay for it. We had to pay thousands yeah. of dollars to get in these races. So I'm paying to torture my body. And um, it's definitely a really common question that it's hard to explain to, of course, like you said, explain to like the outside world. Why would you ever want to do that? And there's a thousand reasons, but um, for me, it's that same thing as testing what's, what's humanly possible for me. What could I possibly do? And then also test kind of like eventually test the human limits of what's possible um, with the mind and your body and everything. And that, that kind of drives me a lot. And of course I see amazing things and I see, I meet incredible people, like the best people ever, which I would never meet any other way. Um, and I learned so much about myself. Like when I used to play football, whenever the going got tough and I was struggling, my coach would pull me right out and I would sit on the bench and then, you don't really learn anything from that for this type of sport you're in it. And if the going gets tough, you got to learn how to keep going or you drop out. So it's like no other sport really teaches you that. Like, I don't know any traditional sport. Like I said, going gets tough. You're out of there. This, I have to be in there and learn and adapt. And you learn a lot about yourself that way. In my opinion, that's a very interesting thing that you said that I, that, I mean, the way you put it is very like, that's a very good point. Is it in that sport? Like, in any other sports, it's kind of wild to think about. Like you've got to be on yeah. on your game, or you get pulled, right? If unless it's golf or tennis, exactly. you know, you're out there by yourself. But it's not. I mean, that sport teaches it teaches you a lot. Like I can see where, and I can also see the difference yeah. between the golf and the tennis and the other individual sports where somebody else is going to take you out, regardless. Like the competition yeah. is going to take you out. This is like do you want to finish this thing or not? Like you either quit or you yeah. finish and nobody's there to say, to cheer you on when you finish and nobody's there to dog on you when you quit. It's all you. Exactly. And, and nobody, most people don't care if you finish or not. So it's all up to you. And if you're willing to keep suffering or keep going through because it's, it's all about highs and lows. Like one moment you're at the lowest low and you say, I never want to do this ever again. This is the worst thing ever. And I want to quit. And then like an hour later, you're like running a seven minute page and you're feeling great, like high five and everybody. So it's all about that. Like if you quit at that low, kind of like in, if you're playing football, you're at that low, you get pulled out. You never really learned that like, Oh, maybe I could get high. Maybe I, maybe an hour from now, I feel a lot better. So like, I think that teaches you a lot about even life with, there's highs and lows in life as in one moment you're really low relationship strain or whatever. And then a year later you're on high of high, like love and life. So it's kind of like the same thing with life. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, so you, did you, that one, I heard you say you quit one race, the 140 mile race or something, something. Yeah. Right. Is that correct? How many races have you not yeah. finished or had that like you've quit on and, and, <laughs> What did you think after you quit them? So um, I've raced over 100 adventure races or like probably 150 by now. And I've only dropped out of two races. So one was um, it was a word, um, chant, a word series race in Wyoming. And I got like really bad stomach virus. Um, I, I thought it was really bad stomach virus. And I was throwing up nonstop. Three of my other teammates were throwing up. So we pulled the plug because we had a 40 mile trek going in like right after that. So like, Oh, let's play it safe. I'm only 13 years old or whatever for me to go on a 40 mile trek up and over the grand Teton mountains. That just sounds so dangerous. 
we pull out and then we got like shuttered all the way back to the finish line and woke up in the morning and I felt amazing. Like all of us felt amazing. It was like the matter of regret we, we had is like, man, if we just slept for like a few hours in that camp and then kept going, we would have been fine. So that kind of taught me a lot about just restarting as in like, you're in that low, you feel like crap, you're thrown up. You might be, you might seem sick, but just rest up and you'll feel fine. Like in a few hours later. So that taught me a lot. And then again, um, guess yeah my the last one um in october i was going for a 140 mile um fkt over the great smoky mountains so it's one of the toughest runs um in the southeast and i made it halfway got hit by insane storm um my crew missed me out of resupply point so i had to run like 32 miles with like no food or water or anything so that like put me in a really bad place with the storm and it's like 30 degree weather thunderstorm and i pulled out of there um that taught me a lot about what were my mental like pitfalls as in where does my mind go when i get in that tough spot of like okay i missed my resupply point what's gonna what's gonna happen am i gonna run out of food or water and die out here maybe not i could keep going but i kind of fell into that mental I don't know, psycho of, oh, I ran out of water, I ran out of food, and now I'm going to start bonking, now I'm going to trip and get injured, and now the storm's coming. So um, working with Dobbs, it kind of helped me get out of that and kind of learn from where my mind goes when I get in those tough situations. So, like, during this 300-mile run, I had that same ha- thing happen to me. I missed a resupply point, and I had to run extra, like, 15 miles with no water or food. I got hit by a big storm. It was pretty much the exact same thing that happened even worse because I had 140 miles on my legs at this point, but I knew where my mind was going to take me. And I knew that, okay, let's not let my mind go there. I'll be fine. And I, I kept going after that, which I, I swear, if you put anybody in that perspective, in that situation, 99% of people would have dropped out at that point. The, well, I mean, first off, how many people that signed up for that 300 mile race dropped out because of that? Do you know? No, so this it wasn't a 300 mile race, so it's called an FKT, fastest known time. So it's pretty much just like a, I wouldn't say like a virtual race, but um, it's a trail. So 300 miles of the Bin Mackay is this big um, hiking trail down in the southeast, and it's just whoever in history has the fastest time. So I'm competing against guys 20 years ago that have hiked oh. this trail and ran this trail, and people that are competing like last year. So it's you submit your data. Whoever's the fastest person do this, do this entire, entire trail. So nobody was out there racing against me at this point. It was mainly I'm competing against people 20 years ago and people in the future that are going to come after my record. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the how that record works. So it's just an ongoing competition. It's an ongoing competition forever, like for years to come. And it's been going on for 20 years. Um, so I've been competing, like I said, competing against guys – 20 years ago that have been hiking this trail forever. That's wild. And so you really are by yourself. There's no other racers out there and you could have picked a different time to do it. And you still kept going with the kneecap and the thunderstorm. So you did both those things and you legitimately could have stopped and restarted at any time when you were perfectly healthy to go back. No. And that totally, that was the main thing is as in with these FKTs is, that first, the 145 mile run, I had the same thing. It was like, oh, I can come back and do this when I'm when there's better weather, when I feel better, better when my crew's all set up and everything. I can just come back. 
And I wasn't going to use that as an excuse this time. It was going to be, I put a lot of effort into planning this thing, even though it was only one week out. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of, it's a lot of logistics. I have to get people to take off their work for a whole week to plan this. So for me to be like, eh, I don't feel good. My knee doesn't feel good. The storm is pretty bad. Let me just come back next month. And typically you don't really get that chance to come back. Um, I haven't, I haven't gone back and do that 145 mile run yet because I haven't had the chance to. Um, so yes, that's the tricky thing about these FKTs as in you could always be like, man, I didn't feel good. If I felt good, if I didn't have that knee injury for mile two, how much better could I do? If I don't have this storm, how much better could I do? So like, that's the tricky thing about comparing these two as in, I thought I had the worst weather possible. I felt completely horrible from the beginning and I still got the record. So it's like, if I, everything felt great, how much better could I do? Um, and that's kind of motivating me to like, I don't know if I'll come back and do this record again until somebody beats it. Um, but I'll go and do another trail and have that confidence that like, man, at least I don't have knee pain from mile two. Like <laughs> that's the monkey. What it sounds like. And I, I picked up on something super important of what you said. I just asked you a straight up question. Cause I was curious about your mindset when you dropped out. Like, did you kick yourself? Were you like, did you have all these regrets? Like, was it painful? Did it hurt when you, when I say painful and hurt, did it eat you up when, like at home and, and after you were done? But what you said was, you didn't even say anything about it other than, I learned some really cool stuff about this one right here about myself. And then I learned some really cool stuff over here about myself. Like there was no loss in there. Like you didn't lose. You didn't look at it as a loss. But that regret of not pushing through that storm fed the energy to go you know with the help of you know outside people like Dobbs and other things like that helped you go I'm not doing that again because I don't want to do that again like I did it once I didn't like it I learned from it and now we're not going to do it again exactly and it was it's all my failures and I've had a lot um in other races like not doing as well but um, I never looked at them as like, oh, man, I didn't finish, whatever. It was more, of course, like just learning from that. Like, I, I'm not going to dread on this. If I dropped out, I'm going to learn from that and use that to the best. Because I've learned so much from those compared to the ones I've finished. And that's a big factor. Um, so, like, mainly this 300-mile thing was like, all these things are going wrong, but I'm going to finish this. And how much more badass is the story going to be that, like, I was injured from the beginning. The storms were insane. Nobody wants to hear the story about some kid running 300 miles and nothing went wrong. And he felt amazing the whole time. And always oh, slept for 20 hours a night, like 10 hours a night, whatever. Like that doesn't really tell anything. And you don't learn anything from that. Like as me, as a person, like I learned, Oh my God, I could push for 300 miles with a bum knee, with insane shin splints, with a huge winter storm that snowed and hailed on me, like craziness. Um, that like, I can use that for future races and future things that like, what else in life? I, I can pretty much do anything in life, I think, because I've been able to do this, um, push through that, if that makes sense. And then we go back to the whole thing where you're, you know, you're talking about why you do these things for no money. And it's the, just the opportunity to show yourself what's possible like that. You're addicted to finishing exactly. that and seeing if you're, you're capable of doing that. And then once you do that, it just yep. feeds into anything else. What's next, man? What's, what's the next like what's next on your on your plan oh. for races and all that? Like, do you look? I mean, obviously you plan that one a week out, so it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of planning in some of them. But 
what what are your big races like what are some of the big things you're gonna do next yeah so since this one was only a week out of planning i kind of like oh man maybe if i plan something like six months out and i train for it or a year out how much better can i do so I'm still tossing around some ideas of what I want to do. Do I want to do one of these 300 mile races or runs again, or maybe a 500 mile run, maybe a thousand mile run, um, kind of toss around the idea. I don't really know exactly yet. I know I'm going to do a few shorter races, a few hundred mile races, um, and try to like win some of those. That's kind of like what I was like, Oh, I think, I think a hundred miles would be pretty fun. That's like what I was keep telling myself out there. But, um, the, the one that keeps draw like comes up to my head is um, the Colorado trail. It's a 500 mile trail through Colorado. Um, it takes, I think 10 days is the record. So that's something that keeps coming up to my head. That might be the next thing. I don't know. <laughs> 10 days. What do you see? So you sleep six hours on that. <laughs> oh yeah. I'll sleep for like, yeah, yeah. Six hours. No, <laughs> that one's more of like, you have to ask, when you get to that point, you have to actually like sleep for like four hours a night or something like that where you get really messed up <laughs> <laughs> and fall off a mountain. Yeah. And that, that there's a big chance of, uh, on East coast here falling off a cliff isn't really that possible, but out there, yes, that is possible. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it is, man. Well, yeah. dude, Hunter, this has been, this has been wild, man. It's awesome. Uh, I think you're crazy unique Thanks, in the sense that you're 20 in pretty much like an older person sport. It's it's yep. it's wild that you've been able to do what you do and you're 20 years old. Um, winning that race on the kneecap thing and then the thunderstorm, that story is wild, man. I love it. Um, this has been oh, a blast. Yeah. I have really, I've really enjoyed this podcast a lot, man. So I'm definitely going to be following and cheering Thanks, you on and all that good stuff. Um, Tell everybody, like, if you have anything that you want to let anybody know about before we end the podcast, I mean, uh, let them know now. No, um, you can follow along on all my adventures on my Instagram and my YouTube. Those are my main two places. It's just my name, Hunter Leininger. Um, yeah, I post pretty much, like, every day on those platforms. What do you do on the YouTube channel? Got a lot of crazy stuff coming up. What? What do you do on the YouTube channel? YouTube channels. Yeah, I – um. I post mainly just not my races because it's hard to film while you're running 300 miles, but like I do a lot of filming hiking and mountain biking and everything. So there's some really cool videos. I'm pretty proud of them. That one. That right YouTube. on, man. All right. Well, everybody go check out his YouTube. The name's right down there at the bottom of the, the screen. You can see it. Um, check him out, follow him and uh, man, support him with everything. Cause this is awesome. Thanks Hunter. This has been rad. Thanks guys. Thanks Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Don't forget to follow Hunter, subscribe to his YouTube channel, and subscribe to this one. Like, rate, review the podcast. It really helps out. And until the next episode, see ya.